Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Wealth Tech Show. This week, this CityWire podcast takes on an absolutely essential topic for investors, and that topic is sustainable investing in ESG. Now, we've discussed this a few times on The Wealth Tech Show. ESG and sustainability, of course, have become major themes in asset and wealth management, and technology, at least to my mind, can help us carry out sustainable and impactful strategies more effectively. A good question to ask at this point is how... And to explore that very question, I'd like to welcome Darshita Gillies, CEO of Manch. Darshita, welcome to the Wealth Tech Show. Thanks, Ian. Looking forward. So, yes, I think the first question I've got to ask you is, is what do you do? And also a little bit about you, because I assume this is the first time you've appeared in any kind of media for CityWire. So, so who are you and what do you do? Thank you. Um, I'm Darshita. Uh, I, my story, I say, starts from the bottom 1% to the top 1% for 100% of the planet. And what I mean by that is I I know what it's like to live the bottom 1% life, the life where you wake up in the morning and you go through your kitchen and you don't have food and your family doesn't have money to buy food. And this reality still exists. And for me personally, when I lived that life, I studied to be an accountant, um, worked my way up through investment banking and consulting. I started Munch, a tech company four years ago with this very specific mission. How do we deploy our resources in a way that we can have a sustainable future for all of us, not a few of us. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to Munch, what we're looking at essentially is, is AI and automation applied to ESG. Is that right? Uh, yes. And as we went down the rabbit hole, uh, we also discovered that there are many companies that are not ready for innovation yet. Uh, they do need support, human support, uh, to help with their strategy, to help with setting up their processes and aligning people's role such that they can be optimized for use of technology. So our role at Munch is really to enable um uh, Uh, globally, companies and fund management to be uh, ready for using AI. Uh, So part of it is tech solution that you can use now. And part of it is services that enable you to get ready for tech in the time to come. Okay, fantastic. Um, And we find that stuff so interesting. That's why it keeps coming up in the Wealth Tech uh, newsletter that we have and also the the podcast. So just a, a quick overview of ESG. I think everyone listening to this from the asset management space knows how big an area it is. But but for some, some context, the ESG market is currently valued at $35 trillion globally. And it's forecast by Bloomberg Intelligence to rise to $41 trillion by the end of the year uh, and $50 trillion by 2025. And in terms of profitability, uh, the asset management industry earned $1.8 billion in fees last year globally, again, from sustainable funds, according to, to Morningstar. And, and we know there's interest here from the everyday person. So uh, the FCA's Financial Lives Survey found that 71% of UK retail investors want to invest in a way that is protecting the environment. So, so Darshita, how, how is tech improving the way that we're able to invest with impact and how we're able to measure uh, the ESG impact of what's going on? Super. So maybe I'll, I'll break this question down into three facets. First uh, is uh, let's look at impact and ESG as two different things because it's very easy to fuse the two together. Uh, so that's one. Uh, the second aspect after we distill or break down ESG and impact is uh, let's take a look at it from asset management 
and then let's take a look from companies and and then like take a look from investors point of view because each of them hold very different roles in the whole ESG movement and the the three of the three the asset manager the company the portfolio company and the investor working together is key for us to see um uh, the end outcome that we want to see so stepping back um to ESG and impact um i i always start my sentences by saying esg is not a proxy for impact so to maybe make it uh, to give a very simple analogy um uh is is one of football uh and 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 playing the game so one is governance in terms of you know do you have the right team do you have the right number of team members are they practicing every day uh sort of you know going through the checklist uh is one thing and then them going and playing the game and and is another so esg and impact is a bit similar uh esg is literally requiring um uh or it simply means that asset managers have checked that the underlying portfolio companies meet a certain criteria uh for example do they have environmental practices in place do they have a policy in place do they have people in place um but it does not mean that the company will will do things that are necessarily uh going to have a positive impact on people or planet um So when we say the rise of ESG if we say for example hypothetically all companies receive a 100% like green score on all ESG criteria globally we still cannot say therefore it means we will meet our climate targets so they're just not doing anything bad exactly it just means they have the processes in place and it does not necessarily mean they're following through those processes so in my view the esg um uh movement if i can call it that it's going it's going to go through a series of iteration and and it will grow for sure uh and it will also require uh a lot more scrutiny in terms of being able to measure more and more things that um are of relevance and things that actually give us a real time indicator of are we on the right direction when it comes to investing resources mm-hmm. and when it comes to the artificial intelligence side of this mm-hmm. how does your technology help us identify which companies are are you know doing things correctly um so we've applied tech in two dimensions one is for the asset manager and then the other is for the companies uh for asset managers we recognize that most asset managers are not going to just divest from their existing portfolio in fact the most meaningful and powerful thing they can do at this point in time is work with their portfolio companies and ensure that they start adopting greener practices so the way they use the munch uh engagement tracker is for them to be able to upload their portfolio and to get insights on which companies meet the ESG criteria and which companies don't and and with these insights they can start creating uh, meaningful interactions and gain meaningful commitments from the underlying portfolio companies and they can track all this progress and then they can report on this with a click of a button which at the moment uh, 80% asset managers still use 
manual ad hoc uh, spreadsheets. Mm -hmm. Most of us uh, are used to doing that and is convenient and easy. But as the number of engagements rise on ESG, as the sector grows, uh, these manual methods uh, will not be tenable for large scale investing. And that's what the Munch technology is ready for. Great. And, and so what's this user experience like? Is the idea to basically have a world of, you know, a universe of thousands of funds and then to be able to quickly filter things and say, you know, I want something that is not involved in arms, for instance, or not involved in drugs and is involved in this location, this location, but not this location. Is that essentially where we're getting to? Um, I think there are, you know, for asset management, there are different lives uh, or different cycles they follow. One is the due diligence, the pre-screening. So at Munch, we don't do that aspect of, of uh, screening. Uh, there are many solutions out there that where they can put their exclusions list and have a short list of um, portfolio companies or potential portfolio companies. Uh, where the munch journey begins for them is where they can, act once their portfolio is active, they can start tracking whether these businesses are keeping on track with the ESG criteria. They have early warning system and they have a central place. So if the teams could be global and there could be multiple funds that they are managing, but the underlying portfolio is still the same. So instead of 10 employees trying to find or 10 analysts trying to find a solution, they can actually go to one source of truth where they know the entire legacy of communication with a portfolio company in one place. Mm -hmm. and, and to what extent does your ability to measure companies depend on how tech enabled they are? Because you're saying, you know, a lot of companies don't have AI, aren't, aren't you know, automation enabled probably. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that those companies kind of slip underneath the radar and you can't really effectively judge how well they're complying with impact or ESG? Yeah. So the company challenge is uh, two-pronged. We have on the one side, large listed companies, and then we also have uh, even more uh, bigger market of private invested companies. Uh, when it comes to listed companies, the data challenge is becoming easier and easier. There are um, solutions out there with structured data that allow you to um, get information. Here, the challenge is not getting data. Here, the challenge is making meaning of that data. Uh, and we have a specific innovation coming on that very soon, where um, investors will be able to gain integrated insights from various data sources. Um, at the moment, um, they get data, but they don't know what to do with the data. So the next level of innovation in in AI for fund managers is around how to use data um, meaningfully. On the company side, like you said, the challenge is even bigger. Uh, they have companies, listed companies, have multiple requests from multiple investors asking for similar things, but in different ways. Uh, and, and then it percolates down to then passing those requests from investors down to the teams who need to go out and give effect to those changes that they have promised to their investors. So all of this tracking and uh, management of uh, KPI related information that investors need on a regular basis um, currently is being done manually by companies. Mm -hmm. 
in most instance. And wherever is there is automation, it's primarily survey driven. Um, and then there are large enterprise solutions um, that companies use, but they are closed solutions. So they don't interact with other technologies necessarily. So we're going to see a whole burst of innovation on the company side where uh, it's going to help companies streamline um, collecting, having a strategy around their ESG and sustainability, having the roles defined, and then having KPIs that they need to measure. And then these KPIs flow through to the investors um, at regular time periods. And this is where, again, tech can really play um, a huge role uh, because a lot of the challenges on ESG are universal challenges, uh, climate change, for example, or having diversity and inclusion at workplace. This is not something that one particular company needs to figure out and they need a specialist uh, consultant to help them. These are universal challenges and therefore uh, technologies like blockchain and other decentralized solutions can really help um, um, information sharing at scale possible at very low cost. Uh, yeah, I definitely want to pick your brains on, on blockchain later. But what you're talking about there, it sounds exciting if we nail it right, this idea that companies will be, or their reporting will be clearer. Asset managers and fund selectors will be able to easily identify who's actually doing right and doing what they say they're doing. But it is a huge challenge, isn't it? I appreciate that all the things we talk about on this show usually is a big challenge that someone's trying to create, a crack. Um, but another thing to throw, another spanner into the works, if you will, is subjectivity. ESG is is difficult because there isn't one standard ESG measurement, is there? And people's views and ethics and so on are very subjective. So how do you how do you navigate that? Do you do you take a house view on what ESG and impact looks like, or do you accept some kind of I don't know, some kind of understanding that there's, there's different ways to, to look at it. Yeah, uh, I think you've uh, you've hit the spot there in terms of the challenge, which is the definitions. Uh, we're definitely seeing a lot more scientific precision around uh, the E of the ESG. So there, there, whilst, you know, sort of the carbon trading rates for offset are changing, but it's a very small percentage of, you know, what's required to be done in the e-space. Um, but we're seeing very clear definitions of what is scope one, scope two, scope three emissions, how they're calculated, what's taken in, what's excluded. And having these kind of definitions helps the sector move forward because then we know there is no gap for um, questioning or no, there's no subjectivity involved. Um, that said, S is the trickiest part. What's included in S and what's excluded is, is still highly subjective. Um, but at the same time, we need to remember, like in um, financial services, we had we we had a definition of profit that has evolved over time as our services have expanded and as uh as globalization has made um, uh, certain um, uh, structures that enable, that require us to consider that before we didn't have to consider in the profit loss equation. Um, I think it's the same with ESG. We're going to see evolutions of or versions of this precision coming over time. Um, and I would say S is the, really the one that needs most uh, input at this point in time. Yeah, um, yeah, I can totally see that being 
it is often overlooked, isn't it? Because as I said, the hardest thing to measure, the hardest thing to probably come up with big headlines on. Although we do, we do do our best. I, I assure you. Um, oh, go, go ahead. I was just going to say. I think what surprised me when we were working with our clients on the S side is there are, there is a lot of things companies do for their employees, for their communities. It's just that it's not being captured and tracked in the right way that enables them to say a confident to share a confident story of their S aspects. Um, during lockdown, for example, a lot of companies spend a lot of time investing in mental health resources. Uh, many companies spend hours um, uh, giving access to their uh, employees to mental well-being or uh, yoga or meditation or just creating hours for socials online. And I think these kind of... Um, events, programs, initiatives are not often measured as ESG, but they actually do do count. And that's what we want. That's what we we say in terms of at Munch, we don't have like, this is what ESG is. This is the Munch definition. Uh, what we try and do is bring out the stories from what's really going on and, and join it up so that it can be evidenced with data and can be proved that it actually forms part of a, a strong ESG practice at a company. Yeah. And where do you put a limit on the data sets? I ask because the example you've just given there is an interesting one. The idea of a company that does things like yoga and wellness sessions. And I, I agree that stuff is really good. But then if you look at the kind of textbook version of a bad modern office they'll have bean bags and a ping pong table but they expect people to work 12 hour days and things like that so so how how granular can you be um i think uh, there is possibility to be a lot more granular the question is going is always can all companies follow that granularity because if we draw a very granular baseline, it means a lot of companies will not be able to report on that baseline. And with missing data sets, we run the challenge of skewing data. Uh, and that's what we want to avoid. So I think the, the, the way to go with ESG is defining the most uh, basic criteria, which is what we have now, that enables all companies to participate in being able to provide the right data sets and then expanding over time. And then obviously there will be sector relevances. So mining companies have lots of impact on communities and contracts and, and supply chain uh, requirements. Whereas, and similar with service companies that have a lot more human factor in their services involved. Um, whereas tech companies, they're probably running billion dollars with very few number of employees. Um, so the S factor is not so much about their employees, but it's going to be more about how their tech interacts with the world and what kind of social challenges or social uh, opportunities these businesses create. So for each business, there we will come to a, or a sector, we'll come to a criteria that uh, pertains to that sector and is most mm. relevant for them to measure. We're not there yet. Yeah, but it's, it's good that you're looking at that because obviously this is a, a podcast that talks about the opportunities of tech. And we're excited about that. But then when you look at big tech, the S area is is so important. Like what is the social impact of of this technology that we're incorporating into our everyday lives? You know, is it necessarily a good thing that my phone might be listening to me? Although people say it's not, but still, <laughs> well, say it's not listening, I should add. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's a really important area. Uh, what I'd like to look at now is, is what are we, from an investment perspective, 
doing well. Uh, you know, I'm going to look at the the SDGs. This is the uh, Sustainable Development Goals, and there's 17 of them which the United Nations have created, and they include things like climate action, uh, affordable and clean energy, the elimination of hunger and poverty, gender equality, and more areas we've, we've talked about already. In what areas are we actually doing well, and in which areas are we are we kind of falling behind? Mm-hmm. So uh, the genesis of Munch, in many ways, was it comes from presenting the UN statistics data on SDGs to uh, a group of uh, government officials, businesses and nonprofits to foster tri-sector partnerships and specific strategies uh, to enable achievement of the SDGs. And every time I ended my speech by saying, and we need to invest in technology so that these data sets are available to decision makers in real time. So they cannot say, oh, if I knew, I would have made a different decision. Uh, so coming back to progress on the SDGs, um, I think uh, there are there are there are challenges and there are opportunities. Um, the challenge we have is. Uh, with the SDG framework, at the moment, the way it is set, it is set by governments for monitoring at a country level. A lot of the SDGs we know, like climate change, uh, are globally applicable. And what what, resu- what happens is that uh, when data is still being tracked on a company and negotiated uh, country at a country level and negotiated at a country level, yet we all know this has global relevance, mm-hmm. um, that challenge we have not yet resolved. Uh, uh, so, for example, um, where are we doing well when it comes to climate change? Yes, company. Uh, many countries are reporting that they are following the Paris Agreement and they're keeping their... Um, uh, uh, carbon emissions within limit. Uh, we also know a lot of this is being pushed out to um, uh, to the global south. Um, and yes, are people essentially <laughs> offsetting offsetting it, their carbon in like the worst way imaginable. Exactly, and so okay. we've just pushed our production to China and India, and still asking them to keep. Uh, the carbon credits or carbon emissions to a certain level. So what what I'm trying to say here is to enable achievement of SDGs and where we have success is not just um, passing what is not working in our corridors to some other corridor, but actually finding the underlying root cause. Uh, so it, it really means us... Um, Agreeing on demand and supply of resources, um, and uh, and also um, I think uh, we are seeing a huge movement in the biodiversity space, uh, life on land, life on water, uh, and I think uh, with regulation coming in, the TNFD, which requires now asset managers who are uh, invested in businesses that have impact on nature to report back on those statistics. I think these kind of um, regulatory and policy moves definitely foster progress around the SDGs. Um, I think a little bit of um, uh, sort of pause on um on efforts in education, et cetera, just because of COVID, where mobilization of people was not necessarily uh, happening as as well. But we will probably see that pick up as well in the, in 
as we go into this post-pandemic world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, and to look at the now the measurement of how well we're doing on impact in ESG and philanthropy. Now, one thing when we look at technology, there's always this really reductive argument of robots taking people's jobs. And as, as you point out, with tech companies, some of the, the billion-dollar tech giants are actually have headcounts that are significantly smaller than than companies that look after a lot, you know, well, which have got more traditional wealth, essentially. So when it comes to automating and adding AI to the investment process, which parts do we still need a person for? In which areas do we still need kind of human involvement? Mm. So I think on the uh, on the asset management side, um, there there are, uh, and especially looking through an ESG and impact lens, um, choosing what needs to be on the portfolio still requires uh, a certain ingenuity uh, from fund managers. I think we can code and code tech to further argument sort of the, how the fund manager makes decisions, but in the end, that role and that function will still be. Uh, a human making that decision. Um, uh, then when it comes to, um, I think when we when we move into sort of this AI and fast track mode, there are still, uh, to train AI, uh, we need to have sufficient number of data sets to evidence that that can be automated. Um, so to enable that process of automation, we will still need humans because we count on their intelligence to tell us what needs to be checked. So I think in the future, uh, AI will will actually be um, uh, a recruiter for a lot of analysts who have done work and who will actually be able to train AI. Um, so I, I don't think it will go away. It will just be transformed from being in fund management to training AI rather. Yeah. Um, and and then I think the last aspect uh, is, um, um, what's it called? The uh, engagement with their companies. Uh, I think... Uh, with Munch, we are already starting to see knowing what triggers can be automated, but then the actual engagement with the portfolio company, that is still a very human process, um, which AI will not be able to take on. So Yeah, let's look at that engagement, because I, I'm keen to know how Munch helps uh, helps people to engage with companies who may or may not be greenwashing. Uh, how, how do you do it? What's, what's the kind of level of engagement that you get? Does it involve much personal involvement or is it all done through automated signals and, and digital procedures? Yeah, I think greenwashing is a, is a, <laughs> is a term of our times. Um, the, uh, you know, in in uh, with with tech and having data trail, it's very hard for companies and asset managers to greenwash their impact credentials. And I, I think that's one way in which tech definitely helps because uh, it gives them insights on what they've done and what they what they still can do, um, and and they cannot report what what isn't there on the system. Um, so it's it's definitely something that that the month solutions help. Um, it similarly, it helps companies as well um, because in the end, investors are, are just communicating uh, aggregated insights from their portfolio companies. What therefore is required is the underlying companies report this data well to their investors. And this is where we, we come and help companies. Um, our, our motto inter internally as a team is let's make sustainable sustainability or impact and ESG easy and non-negotiable. So we go in with um, making sure that um, 
there is buy-in from the word go and we're constantly working with the teams trying to take out their tensions and take out the things that are the most tedious uh, and and non uh, emotionally rewarding for them and and try and automate those functions and and ensure that the the employees the companies have in have employed actually are using their strategic capabilities more than sort of doing mundane repetitive yeah. tasks. So I was going to say, you've said mundane repetitive tasks, which possibly answers a question I'm about to ask. But the question I was going to ask is, what parts of the process get automated first? Uh, the ones that are most defined. Um, so, for example, we know about climate um, and climate data. Uh, like I said before, many companies still track those data on spreadsheets, and that is not helpful. And, and then they need to send those data sets to various teams. Um, so each time these spreadsheets get new versions, updated, etc. When you have a collaborative technology, uh, anyone who enters, anyone can enter data, anyone who is given the role can validate that data, anyone who has been given the role can review and report on that data. Uh, and all of these data sets are timestamped. So there, there is, again, a, a clear data trail that allows you to have a full check. There are triggers in the system that allow um, anyone with managerial insight to know if certain data sets haven't come in. Uh, so all of these kind of things before they... Before tech, they are all sitting on emails and spreadsheets. And with tech, they are sitting at a mm -hmm. click of a button. Are you able then to easily identify companies that just, just aren't actually engaging properly with ESG? Uh, I think it is possible. Uh, and the reality is sometimes, uh, company, and this is what we've observed with companies, they have a genuine uh, intention to make sure that they are up to speed and and they just don't have the resources. And uh, we are seeing sort of uh, a huge uh, investment boost in the market with the rise of sustainability linked loans. I don't think many companies are aware that they can actually finance some of their SDG impact ESG activities by procuring low cost capital. Uh, so we help companies do that as well to make sure that they don't miss out and they because they didn't have the resource, they actually can get the resources, they can get their teams in ready and, and ready to deliver. So yeah, there, there is an information gap that keeps companies from being responsive uh, rather than them just not caring. Mm -hmm. And one of the age-old debates around around you know any ethical kind of investment I'll use ethical rather than one of the many acronyms it is you know divestment versus engagement because some companies you could you could logically consume you, know, you could logically kind of conclude have no interest in actually changing their ways does March take any stance on that? Are there any companies that you simply don't bother to engage with? Yeah, so we have taken a, a, a consciously a very neutral stance, um, which is we don't say this is good or this is bad. We just say this is what the data says about this company. And that for certain investors, uh, this is a no-go zone. And for certain investors, it's an opportunity. Um, but at least they know they come to munch to uh, to know what's there rather than to get the right list or the wrong list. Um, yeah. Okay. And I did say I would go back to you mentioning blockchain 
And I was, you know, I was on your website a few days ago and saw, lo and behold, you've got some professional history in blockchain. Is that correct? Uh, very briefly, yes. Uh, we started with the Munch solution, uh, especially on the philanthropy side. Uh, we explored blockchain as we started. We just realized that it was very early stage and very early days to do any philanthropy solution around blockchain because uh, for the scale at which we were looking at, there are many um, silos in the philanthropy space that need to first be evened out for us to be able to scale technology at a global level. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, uh, I, think, I think what interested me and fascinated me most about blockchain is it's a wide applicability in enabling sustainability across board. Um, I, you know, I think people have questions about crypto mining and how sustainable or not that is. I think that apart, that's just, you know, sort of one aspect or one sliver of uh, sort of the ill effects or the possible uh, negatives of um uh, of blockchain when used when used in crypto and specifically for mining. There are many other proof of works that have evolved that are not as energy intensive. And we're definitely seeing um, uptake on uh, platforms like Ethereum and others um, that are not as intensive uh, with their uh, energy consumption. Uh, but that said, what was most fascinating for me is, uh, like I mentioned, ESG impact. These are global solutions that require Require global uh, global challenges that require global solutions, and um, and this is where technologies like blockchain or any decentralized tech can really help. Um, it it should not be proprietorial information for an asset manager to say, hey, we didn't invest in that company because they have supply chain issues. If a company has supply chain issues, all asset managers need to know uh, so so that the company can course correct its ways rather than be invested in despite its issues. Um, so that's the kind of solution or the end um, end game that um, uh, technologies like blockchain can foster because it can give up, um, give or share with, uh, with the relevant stakeholders the right data sets they need to know before they make an investment decision. And these, these data sets uh, can be in one standard form accessible to all mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah that makes a lot of sense but it is funny isn't it the headlines do go to the crypto mining and and the energy use although i have to ask on that i mean i, I was i was reading up on this earlier uh you know research from statista that was published uh, this year actually it suggests and this is contentious i know people disagree with this but suggests that the cons energy consumption for one bitcoin transaction is about 2,188 kilowatt hours, whereas for 100,000 Visa transactions, that would be a mere 148 kilowatt hours. So if that's correct, and statistics seem to think it is, and it quite possibly is, that means anyone who's facilitating Bitcoin, uh, you know, for purchases or anything else, is possibly, you know, that's a red flag from an ESG perspective, you would think. Do you factor that in when you're looking at companies? And do you think that those who facilitate Bitcoin admittedly, although it's in its early stages, would you see that as a bad thing? Um, like I said, we don't uh, do good or bad uh, at mm -hmm. Munch. We just uh, help companies track 
their um, carbon emissions. So when it came, when it comes to whether they use Bitcoin or not, question is going to be: Do they have systems in place where they are tracking uh, how many transactions they have versus on Bitcoin versus others, and what is their sort of sum total? Uh, like I also, I'd also like to say, uh, energy and climate is one angle through which we look at impact. Uh, but not all companies that have negative impact on the one side necessarily have a negative impact overall. So when we look at organizations like Shell or BP, um, yes, of course, the uh, fossil fuels, we know we need to transition out of fossil fuels. But at the same time, they employ over 100,000 people globally. So um, Instead of flagging them as bad and and sort of moving going into divestment from fossil fuels is not going to help us. I think it's it's the same. Uh, all challenges need to be weighed along with with like a fuller perspective, um, and that's what we try to do our best and 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 that's what we are building ourselves for. Is we don't know the full picture. Um, but we can. We know there are a few basic things we need to measure. Let's start from that. And as we get new data sets, we build this body of intelligence together collaboratively with uh, with our partners, so that we that we constantly um, checking who's winning, who's losing, and how do we balance that act. I think the whole transition of our economy to sustainable finance, uh, someone is going to lose. Uh, uh, and someone's going to win. I think the key is how do we transition such that people who are going to lose are held and transitioned uh, well with us in the next era. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great answer. And in fact, it's so good that you answered the next question that I had for you. So that's magic. A, that is, yeah, that's very well done. Um, look, that is unfortunately we've got time for. But Perfect. thank you so much for joining the Pleasure. Wild Tech Show. Um, honestly, great to learn more about how technology is helping people invest more sustainably and understand what's going on at the companies we invest in. So that is brilliant. It's good to make sense of a kind of confusing and, and greenwashed world. Uh, for everyone listening in, thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm Ian Horn, and this has been the Wealth Tech Show. Goodbye for now. Mm -hmm.